0: My wife told me to stop talking about phones because that's all I've been putting <laughs> videos out about lately. So I brought, uh, I brought some friends on that know a lot about drones. That's the common thing between us, um, but I'm sure yeah. we're going to talk about more than that. First, I got Martin reisch who I love to talk to on Instagram. He's Safe Solvent. If you're not already following him, he is really great drone photography and photography in general as a filmmaker. And hi, Martin.
1: <laughs> hey, how's it going, man?
0: What did I leave out? What else can you say about yourself?
1: Um, I think you covered it, but uh, I, I like to make images and stories, video, photo. Um, and I like to fly drones, yeah.
0: Well, and we also end up chatting a lot because you are aware of the same uh, Macintosh space that I follow, which I always appreciate. I'm like, I build up people as my own little internet celebrities that, you know, i I've been following them for years, so I get really like I I know everything they do, and I know what they talk about. And since you listen to a lot of the same podcasts as me and watch the same YouTubers, it's very helpful.
1: Yeah, I I feel the same way. I I feel like uh, the overlap between our tech friends and our photography and filmmaking friends uh, is pretty big.
0: And then I've got a repeat guest, Johnny Harris is back. Hi, Johnny. Hey, good to be here again. And if you don't recall, Johnny makes the series Borders for Vox, which you have probably seen. And if you haven't, once you've seen it, you'll be showing all your friends because it's amazing. Um, So, yeah. Welcome back, Johnny. Thank you. I don't know where to start. Uh, I guess with my—I bought a drone. This is is why I brought you—I just brought you guys here to validate my purchase. (laughs) Congratulations.
1: (laughs) Thank you. It's in front of me
0: here. And I'm going to start looking at it.
2: Is this a first drone for
0: you or? No, this is a third drone. So I had the Phantom 4 was my first, uh, not a pro or anything. I think it was before the pros were released. But uh, I've, I have always loved that drone. Like it is so well made. It flies incredibly well. It is still fantastic. When I take it out now, it feels contemporary.
1: So you still take it out?
0: It, yeah, I just brought it on a on a road trip recently, and it, it worked exactly as well as everything else. Like it is still so good. The only bad thing is bad. It's
2: but th- wait, you're talking Phantom Four. That giant beast of a drone it I imagine <laughs> yeah the right you, you got model. it the big white one yeah, yeah. okay yeah okay. so
0: it, which felt small at the time
2: <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> yeah three years ago but now i think was. of it and i just i have to like crack my back when i just think about it because it's so big like it's such a i think
1: anything that requires its own backpack is suddenly <laughs> a no-brainer you don't take it with you
0: i can't believe i brought it to europe once like i brought it overseas um, i don't know yeah, how That's crazy
1: that I brought crazy. the I think I brought the Phantom Three professional to Iceland, carried it in a backpack all around, barely used it though,
0: yeah, well, mm. if you go to Iceland, you gotta bring something anyway, so after that i bought I bought a spark because that's what was out at the time when I was buying the spark the um the Mavic Pro had come out, but the Mavic Air hadn't, and I probably would have gotten an air instead but it didn't exist uh, and to be honest I I was pretty happy with the spark I really liked it I used it a lot like my the amount that I flew went way up from the phantom just cuz I would have it with me it's super small it still operates really well I have you guys flown sparks
2: I have yeah I was in Costa Rica on a shoot with my wife is for I think she was doing and our I got water on our Mavic controller and so we had we were in the place, like the best place on the coast of Costa Rica. And, and we had no drone, which was like a sin. It, it, we were doing this like big client job. And so we literally walked the beach looking for someone with a drone <laughs> to like put our, put our SD card in. And we were on this long saga. Anyway, the end of the saga was we found some people from Slovakia who had a, a spark. And uh, shamelessly, I walked up and I was like, can I fly your drone and put my SD card in? and that was my one experience with the spark and i loved it and the footage was was hard to distinguish i didn't do anything fancy with it but i got the shots and to think that something that small can do it kind of blew my mind that's what i
0: always found is that most people just wouldn't spot the difference um when you when you look at it closely i mean it doesn't shoot 4k it is not as good but the times that i've used it nobody comments on like i don't think anybody's noticing that it's it's not coming from one of the better drones it really Holds up pretty well in most cases.
1: I feel like the cameras on these drones are much like the evolution of the phones and mobile phone uh, cameras in that you could probably not tell which of the last three drones were were used for for whatever video or photo you've seen.
0: Yeah, it's funny. For all of the comparisons we watch and create of of the phone shootouts, in the end, you can never really tell. (laughs) But yeah, so it, it held up really well. The issues would be one is that it doesn't have the full st- stabilization. So when you're moving left and right, you will get the rotation of, of the drone. Like the camera mm-hmm. will turn mm-hmm. sideways. And, and just in general, it is not stabilized as much. Like you, if, you're, if you do anything jerky, it is there. And then the other is that the signal would really drop out like at at a, yeah. what seems like a reasonable distance. It's not going that far. I would just completely lose uh, the I'd lose the feed or I'd stop having control and it would start coming home on me. And I just I couldn't go far. And this happened really often. Yeah. But but I mean, another thing I want to say more good things about it, because honestly, it it is really good. I've, I have when I have complimented on Twitter and stuff, I've heard people kind of trash it like it's it seems like people don't. Like it enough to me, but it, it would also fly in incredible wind, like yeah, almost as much as the others. It, I was always surprised how much it could tolerate.
2: And you realize that to me, my big take on drones is like eighty-five percent of drones is that you can get this thing up in the air. Like the fact that it gets up in the air and takes images <laughs> is enough of a magical thing. And so the fact that like this spark can go up in the air and take images and you can control it, like that concept, you can do so much with that already that it's like the extra thing you get with a little more range or stability or whatever is just to me marginal improvements for if, if you're someone that wouldn't take a drone if it was any bigger. To me, the spark is like so incredibly smart.
0: That's often the big difference is that you have a drone instead of no drone. You know, yeah, that's, exactly that's the most important difference. And some of the best work that I've seen as well is like pretty low off the ground. I mean, uh, the way that I've seen um, Philip Bloom use it a few times will be just kind of that like long tracking shots. And some of my favorite shots I've had as well are like 10 feet off the ground. It's not it's just a little higher than human height. And it's the movement that's that's mm-hmm. exceptional or yeah. that it just has perspective you couldn't have got otherwise. Yeah. I feel
1: like once you get over the the initial joy of like really going high enough to kind of get something you've never seen before, coming back down to like that kind of 45 degree angle, slightly unsure if it's a crane or a drone, that kind of gets to be the most interesting type of shot.
0: Martin, your work is kind of different too, because you're doing more mm-hmm. photography than we are. Like we're talking a little more from a video perspective, but what I see so you post anyways, mostly photos. Do you find that means you're looking for something very different in, in how your drone operates?
1: Actually, yeah, that, that's kind of a good point. I, I was just assuming from the photo point of view, just because that's what the most use I, I get out of my drones are. But f- from, from that uh, point of view, like a, a 45 degree angle and about the height of like uh, a telephone pole or, you know, some top of the trees kind of has, that's, that's what's getting my attention when I'm flying, kind of looking for a, a, an interesting shot now mostly because i'm trying to do self portraits or include a human in the shot and you know after i've already like flown so high that i look like a a, a dot <laughs> which is amazing and i and i love doing that but i've started to kind of reappreciate the low altitude drone shot
2: yeah i've i've actually been getting into that too lately with with video just because when you're low you can get parallax you can get a movement with like the the height of the tree, you can really see that depth. Right. And it's like, you you don't get that when you're super high because you go as fast as you can. You crank it as fast as you can one way. And it's so subtle, the movement that you're, it's a, that's a beautiful technique. But when you're right above the trees, I've been doing this thing. We were just in Switzerland where I would be just a couple meters off the top of these pine trees and just slowly gliding through. And it's almost like, because of that, the focal length on that lens, it's almost like you're, you're touching the tips of these pines. And the movement is so dramatic. I've actually, as well, started to fall in love with with lower altitudes now that I've got my fix of, like, super, super high.
1: That makes me think of, of like, the drone, uh, you know, in terms of a, a tool or a filmmaking uh, or a photography tool, a lot like the, the dolly, you know, like, once you get over the fact that every shot looks great when it's slightly moving, then you start kind of finding, like, more interesting reasons to bring out the drone or to use the drone, that rather than just, like, you know, get a super high establishing shot
0: well it's really shocking that first time that you just take off and see how high it goes you realize how high not that high is you know like it's only it's only started to go up you know it can keep going and going but you look around and you're like wow i can see everything from here and right. i've already become a tiny ant in its perspective and it's it's only halfway up to the you know the the maximum that your, your preset is at it's crazy how, how high these things go quickly. And, yeah. and, you know, and, and also part of the reason that you have to like really, you know, get comfortable with controlling them because you can kind of be unaware of how far it's moved in a few minutes if you're not really paying attention.
1: And, and like Johnny said too, the, because of the focal length, the distance you are from a tree or, or from the tops of the trees is, is it looks amazing in the shot. Cause you look a lot closer than you are, but you're usually safely hovering above them but still getting a a pretty close shot
2: i've started to actually not just to get the shot but when i get to a new place i'm almost like i gotta get my drone up just to see it like just to explore it's almost like i want to go hike the trail or whatever
1: location scouting right
2: yeah and it's like you just want to see it it's almost like another perspective that you can only get i've started to do that even when the light's bad or whatever i'm not gonna even do any shooting but just to get it up just to look at it, and to me, that's actually one of the great benefits of it, is it. It it enhances my like travel and and hiking experiences. So, man, we're just like we're just all like praising drones. Just, <laughs> it's like such an amazing thing. It, well, it kind of is.
1: Before we totally get off topic of drones, that makes me think about the. I'm not sure how many people watched the DJI keynote uh, for the Mavic Two Enterprise, which was their. Well, enterprise drone, but it's geared more towards a uh, search and rescue and business. And now it's starting to make me think, like, because the the main difference between the Mavic Two Enterprise and the Pro and the Zoom is that you can clip on attachments. That that also makes me think, like, the 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 kind of scoping out the area or using the drone for even more than just making creative uh, or cinematic shots. Using it as a, a complete. Location scouting tool with a lamp on top, or lighting an area to do a shot. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what creative people do with the enterprise drone.
0: Yeah, we're only talking about in terms of filmmaking, but there is so much more you could do. I mean, I always think about farmers, for example. Right. Yeah. But okay, before we yeah before we go too far, I did want to say what I got, which is the, the Mavic. To Zoom, I had to think for a second to say it correctly because <laughs> uh, the, the naming could have... I think everybody thinks this is called the Mavic Zoom 2. But um, yeah, I know I got the Zoom uh, partly because I couldn't find a pro, to be totally honest. We were on a road trip and I'd, I'd been looking for one for days and uh, we were somewhere really nice and I knew I wanted to get some shots and it was like, okay, screw it. I'm just going to go pick one up. And um, a lot of the comparisons I'd done especially in terms of shooting video uh, make it look like the pro is a bit of a letdown in terms of the extreme image quality it's meant to deliver. It's supposed to have way more dynamic range. It should be sharper, uh, more color depth. I mean, it shoots in 10 bit, all these things. And when I just look at the examples, there's a lot of time, it's definitely softer in almost every example than both the zoom and the air. It is still better for photography. So like for Martin Martin for you totally would make sense, but I think I just decided th- those differences aren't important enough for me to keep searching for it and spend the extra money. So, yeah, that's that's why I did did the one that I did. Did I screw up?
2: Yeah. So you ended you ended up with the the sorry, the naming is so bad that I'm like <laughs> I'm like fumbling in my head like the two, the zoom, the pro like uh-huh, you ended up with uh-huh. the zoom. Yes, the correct? Zoom. That's right. Okay. Okay, which is like the one naming that actually makes sense because the lens can zoom, so I yeah, can remember that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. I think there's big benefit to that, honestly. And and even if, yeah, I, I've seen some of the comparisons too, and it's like it. I wish I could see a dramatically different image because mm-hmm. I haven't updated myself because of that. I haven't seen something that makes me think like, man, this is a dramatic update. This is worth selling my old one, getting a bunch of new batteries, kind of learning a new system.
0: Well, and so let's all see what we're on too, Johnny. You're on the.
2: Mavic. I'm on the Mavic Pro, just the Mavic Pro, the one that's been around for like three or four years. Mm-hmm. I guess I have one of Mavic Pro Platinum, which is basically just has a longer battery and, and and is a little quieter on the blades.
1: I'm flying the Mavic 2 Pro.
0: So we could do like an actual comparison sometime. Because So the thing that I, I couldn't find a good comparison of this online is the raw photos. Like how much dynamic range in photography do you get? Cause t- it just does not deliver in video. Like they really look almost the same, <laughs> even though it's a bigger <laughs> sensor and it's shooting 10 bit and it can shoot log and like everything on paper says this should look way better. And I just can't see the difference.
2: Hmm. And have you got your hands on like actual raw footage to look at? No, or is it just no, I'm, okay? Because I'm just I'm right be curious. And which at the end of the day doesn't really matter. Like if it at, if you're looking at it on a YouTube video, then that's that's the end product anyway. So but yeah i'd be curious just to see after you you know i work with drone footage so much that to open up those raw files and look at them i wonder if i'd notice a difference
0: that was the comment the other, i got the other day was that i shouldn't be looking at youtube tests because uh you know the compression cancels out so much of the quality anyway and my response was <laughs> well but that's <laughs> the point. that's where the videos are going i mean <laughs> if you can't tell on youtube then why would i spend hundreds more dollars to get a difference that nobody's going to see. I mean, I'm not even on broadcast television. I bet a lot of this stuff gets too compressed. Like you're only going to see it in the source. F- I, I'll see it when I'm editing, who else is going to see that <laughs> perfect quality difference? Um, you know, things that get lost through compression aren't worth paying for to me. If it's well, yeah, jo-
1: Johnny, you would know uh, you would see the biggest difference. Cause I had the Mavic, the original one and video fell apart with that thing more than more than I liked. And uh, I then got the Mavic Air and the, even just the difference between, I think it was 60 megabits per second for the Mavic 1 and 100 for the Mavic Air. And even just in hmm. that, the difference was huge. I, I was always shocked that wow. the Mavic Air would shoot that much better uh, video than the original Mavic. But I got to say, between the Mavic 2 Pro and the Mavic Air, yeah, there's you know, a new log format, but... Personally, I would say the the photography side is a huge, huge improvement. But for video...
2: But the video is not that great, not much better. I mean,
1: it's good. It's it's a lot better. But will you notice it, end result, after you've shot in good light, graded it, put it into a cut? I don't know. For the length of shot, you know, I think that's more uh, questionable.
2: Yeah, which makes me wonder, are there other things that aren't, because a drone is picture quality, but it's also all these other bells and whistles of functionality that are attractive. I know there's the hyperlapse and all these things. I wonder if those are the bells and whistles that you're paying for, not necessarily better picture quality.
1: I'll tell you one thing that completely sold me, and it's not—it's like one of those features that isn't necessarily a, a show-off feature that you could have in a, in a video, but the signal strength, the, the reliability of the signal between the controller and the drone is like rock solid. And, and same thing for the video transmission. I've never once even like had a faltering video.
2: Okay, that's huge. And
1: the confidence in knowing that, knowing that your video is being transmitted to the controller and to your phone without breakup and that the, you know, the actual drone is not losing signal from interference or, or anything outside. Uh, it's it's kind of like that, like, you know, you'll fly it and then you'll go, oh, you know, you'll reach mm. a you'll you'll reach a distance where you normally kind of start expecting a bit of uh, problems, but yeah, uh, I, I would say that's that's huge.
0: There's a YouTube video I've got to put in the show notes, so go click it and watch it. It's it's a long straight shot of a guy just flying as far as he can, <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, I think those are let's, my." Favorite. Let's go, and he just like cranks the button. And yeah. And so he made it, he made it three miles and you know, he probably could have even pushed it a little farther, but you have to judge like the battery recommends when you should come home to make it safely. Yeah. But it, uh, the most impressive thing to me is that there was no breakup the whole time. Like how, yeah, 100%. I, what is that technology? I have absolutely yeah, no idea what can transmit a perfect HD signal for three miles between these it's, two small yeah, devices, in
2: real time, in real time, yeah. it, it, it well, lo- how does it's lo- this work? And, and <laughs> in addition to all of the radio signal that you're sending to, to have it the gimbal go down and the propellers quickly go to the left and the right, like yeah. to me, actually, like that's the kind of boring feature. Like that, that right there. Like you, hearing Martin say that probably just sold me because, like, it's a it's a boring feature. Like, oh, the, the signal's better like you don't want it. that's not at the top of the specs, but for someone who uses a drone a lot and takes it really far out and like does a lot of ambitious stuff with it, having a solid signal is so important and it's such a nuisance for, for me when I fly. So that right there uh, to me is a huge, huge benefit like it or like a huge spec upgrade.
1: It, it really is. And, and I think the reason why it, they can do a Mavic two enterprise and, Touted as a, a drone that you could use for search and rescue, or or you know whatever. They even have a a, a shot of the drone flying near um, those giant wind turbines, and someone's doing an inspection. And you know, like to to have a, a drone pitched as a search and rescue, and 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 not have a signal that you know would would hold up. Uh, I think that's why they were able to to do the enterprise version.
2: Hmm. Because
1: they they managed to figure out what how do you get a signal to be so rock solid.
0: I do want to say, I mean, I don't want to stop this conversation, but if anybody is listening and doesn't care about drones, we will talk about other things eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I I have found there to be a lack of in-depth conversations about these. A lot of the YouTube videos are kind of from people that just review drones, like their whole channel is reviewing drones. And then I just see it. I mean, they're not I like it's. It's so different when you're really putting these things to work and you're trying to yeah. create something unique from them, and you know, not just uh, I don't know, not just enjoy the tech of it, which is yeah, really easy to enjoy.
2: But it's so so much easier to do, and it's and it's I feel like that's actually my big critique is like when a new drone comes out, the discussion and it is about the numbers and and what's on paper, and then before and then and then there's like oh the new hyperlapse feature, like we're gonna see in the next year the hyperlapse cloud thing <laughs> in a mountain a billion times like that's going to become a drone cliche and it's like to me the discussion should be like well what like what can you do with these things that are that, that's new and different from a photography or from a storytelling perspective like h- how are these things useful to tell stories or to show different evidence or to or to do to make art you know and it's like that's to me, the much harder thing to do as a maker. It's so much easier to think about the dynamic range and the sensor, and and I'm and I'm trying to push the limits of like, well, what what can we use this thing for that isn't just like the prepackaged preset, but is actually like a new riff on on what this technology allows us to do. Because there's so many opportunities now that we can fly in the air. Well, for sure, the best example
0: is the baked in dolly zoom. Which, you know, I think if you just figured out that you could do that back in the day, it'd be kind of worth it. Like, it's it pretty cool. A lot of people don't know how to do it. But as soon as it's a built-in feature, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm never, ever going to use that.
2: <laughs> There's yeah. no chance now. Yeah, it's going to become a cliche, which is which is sad because it's like now everyone can do it and it's advertised and it's like everyone's going to do it. And so it's like, what can we do that isn't just the shiny feature that is interesting and, and fun and that uses this tool in a, in a creative way?
1: You know, I think that's the same thing I was thinking when they they showed the enterprise version that has uh, a, a giant LED clip-on light. Uh, I don't know if you guys follow on Instagram. Um, I think his his username is Ruben Wu. Uh, he he does these uh, really interesting projects where he gets a couple of drones, attaches a really high powered LED light to it, and uh, then yes,
2: I've seen this.
1: Yeah, and in, in instead of actually even using the drone to do the photography, he just uses the drone as a giant light to, to light up a mountainside or to do long exposure shots, but using the drone to do movement and, and be a light source. So yeah. I, I'm assuming he's going he's gonna to probably grab a Mavic 2 Enterprise R2 just to, just to use it as like as intended. Uh, to me, yeah.
0: that's like the kind of practical use that won't go out of style. Like, I think that's actually really useful. It's not, uh, that's not a trend. I mean, doing like painting with light is a traditional photography technique that um, when I first had it explained to me, it was in the context of of shooting film that you'd like, um, so it was for shooting interiors and that you would like block, kind of block off different parts of the room and expose them separately and light them separately and, and shoot them all to one exposure of film. Yeah. So it's not like this is a a new invention that now you can put a light on a drone. It's just that now you can light a mountain instead of a hotel
2: lobby. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it's like these, it's like reimagining the fundamentals. Um, Another creator that I think does this really well, super inspirational to me is um, I think it's Anya Copia. Oh yeah. She, she does uh, a bunch of work for, for like, I think for DJI and, and others, um, her work is again, the fundamentals of photography, it's symmetry, it's color, it's composition, but it's done from 200 meters in the air. You know, she, there's this one clip of her in a, in a yellow, like raincoat on the black sandy shores of Iceland. And, and, and the, and the water washes up and like kind of washes her away. And she's like this yellow dot. And, to me, she's she's not inventing like some, or she's not using some gimmicky, trendy thing. She's using like the fundamentals of like good photography, but she's doing it with this tool. To me, that's the exciting thing about drones. Like, it, no matter what drone you have, you can do these amazing things that are reimagining these fundamental concepts that have always made photography and videography great.
0: All right. Since we're all just naming our favorites, uh, I'm going to bring up Noah Kalina, who he's usually the guy that I'll say is my favorite photographer, which I don't know if it's true or not. But he's somebody I've referenced really often throughout my career. And he's the person that did the first photo every day video. If you remember, like the piano playing in the background. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. One of the
0: like, first viral videos, really. Uh, turns out he's also he's a really talented photographer. Like that that video was just a side project, but he um, he takes really wonderful Photos as well, and something he'll do often is just stick the tripod, uh, the drone up in the air in tripod mode, and just have it hover and create, a sh- like a basically a still, like a moving still, uh, where somebody's just walking through the shot or the fog's moving, or you know, really simple, static videos. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I'm not really sure how to describe it, but it's it's beautiful, and he posts them to Instagram. And um, yeah, there's just it, it, it opens up so many more opportunities than. We even realize yet, even though we've been using them for a few years now and all of us have put a lot of time uh, into, into creating with them, there's so much more potential that is not even tapped yet. That's
2: to me, that's really exciting because it's like, here we are with this thing and it's like, what could we do with it? It's brand new. And, um, uh, last year I started doing this like drone boomerang thing where it was like back and forth. And that was my like big revelation where the first time where it clicked where Mm -hmm. I could like fly the drone out and then like reverse it. And that's where it clicked where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't just have to do like the gimbal up shot that everyone else does. Like I could do something totally different with this, the same tool. And, and now I'm trying to come up with that next thing. Like what's the next thing where I use this tool for something completely different. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know what it is, but it's exciting. It's like fun to think about.
0: This episode is brought to you by Cronaby, makers of some of the most beautiful connected watches in the world. I mentioned before that I had a chance to travel to Sweden and check out their headquarters. And honestly, these people are the coolest people in the world. Like the Swedes just get style so much more naturally than I, I mean, I need to work for my style. They get it. They have incredible designers that are putting together these watches that just feel like They're designed to look great in any situation and on any wrist. But not only do they look good, they have a lot of really useful smart features. And I should tell you that the software and hardware is designed end-to-end within Cronaby. Their engineering team used to work for Sony Ericsson, so they have a lot of background designing high-end hardware like this. really small packages it's not just running some version of android it is fully integrated and you can feel it in the design that it's complete from beginning to end it is all of one vision and i love that about it so the feature that i'm going to talk about a little bit today is they have this safety feature called walk me home and basically with a press of a button it'll start sending your location to a friend They can accompany you home via GPS, and if there's any issues, they're able to help you out, give you a call, send you a text, make sure that you're okay. And you can assign the different pushers and the crown to have different functionality like this. There's so much that it can do. You should go to cronaby.com to check them out, or you can watch some of my YouTube videos that I created about them. Either way, thank you so much to Cronaby for supporting the show. Do you guys find you're getting sick of drone shots yet? Like when you see other people including them, is are, are we getting anywhere near saturation of drones in general?
1: <laughs> I don't think we're we're there yet, as long as people like Ruben Wu or, or Anya uh, keep doing that. And I think that's the thing, whenever I see those shots, I get more inspired to kind of, you know, not do, just do a, a, a typical drone shot. One, one thing that I liked that I don't even know if it looks like a drone shot, but recently... I was at a beach uh, in Quebec and just the idea of going, again, not even at a really high height, but just going out in the water or over the water to get a perspective that's kind of, it, it implies that you're somehow in some kind of a position that's impossible, but you're not 150 meters up in the air. You're, you're kind of mm-hmm. just like at this awkward height that I think it's, it, you look at a photo and you could just scroll past it and not even realize it was a drone shot Mm -hmm. and then when you look at it again you kind of go wait how how was that done
2: yeah i think that's that's actually one of the better uses is like when you're on a mountain and you want to do some like negative horizon and there's no way you could get a tripod to set up on this on the other side of the cliff or whatever and it's like the drone can just hover there and act like a tripod it's actually below you technically but it's acting as access to thin air you know which is like the angles yeah i don't think we're i don't think we are drone saturated yet i think what we are is drone desensitized where it's lost its novelty mm-hmm. where like a, a drone shot is now expected and typical for a travel film or, or for even a, like a documentary or whatever i i, I so I, I don't think we're there yet i don't think it's it's gone too far let's
0: let this podcast be the opportunity to remind ourselves and celebrate <laughs> how crazy it is like I don't know how we get used to technology this quickly. You know, how much we take, I was going to say iPhones, but uh, smartphones for granted and how like bored we are of them and how simple these incredibly complicated things start to feel in just a few years. I mean, drones are still mind blowing. I mean, you would literally have to put a helicopter in the air and then you'd kind of have to stabilize the camera to get a, Mm -hmm. a, a nice shot. Otherwise, it'd feel super shaky and handheld. And mm-hmm. to get the things that we're now able to do every single day for the for, you know, for an upfront investment of a few thousand dollars, like that would be you know, five thousand dollars a day to yeah. get these shots in the past. It's yeah. and this just happened. This is like we're this yeah is still we're so like fresh. In, it's,
2: it's like in slow motion right but now. But we're yeah, I, already bored I'm, of it. <laughs> I'm reminded of this so often because I, I'm usually shooting in countries where people have never seen. The drone. I've drone before. This is their first time, and I show up, and I'm like, hang out with them for the day, and then I'm like, hey, I'm gonna fly my drone, and they're like, what is it? I'm like, well, it's like a remote control like helicopter, and they're like, what? Pull it out, <laughs> fly it, and their minds are blown. Yeah, and it's as like they an should exciting, be exciting, yeah, it, totally. And it's like they're so excited about it, like it's like a it's like the highlight of their like month that this thing just happened. And what it's done is it's it's kept me totally giddy about it i'm just like yeah you're right this thing is crazy and amazing and like i i'm actually really grateful for that opportunity because it because it instills this like constant excitement like it hasn't totally normalized for me i still look at it and like my mouth is slightly ajar with like wonder can i be honest
0: <laughs> i still get that feeling with wikipedia like seriously <laughs> i'll open up wikipedia and sometimes i'm just like wow this is wow. amazing <laughs> <And> like <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah oh, it's crazy like come on everybody let's celebrate yeah. the internet i don't think we us celebrate
2: technology yeah we're too we're too hard on scrutinizing the sensor sizes and the dynamic range of iphones yeah, yeah totally. uh,
0: man. but it's all pretty good um i don't know i i've, I've been loving mine i've been able to shoot it a lot yet one practical question for you guys how many batteries do you think a drone owner needs like how do you? How many do you bring around with you?
1: I think the the, the median place to position that is three because that's what comes with the the Flymore kit. But I think when listening to Johnny, I would say four. Just so you have one battery to show these people that are marveling at your drone a little bit of flight and let them see it, and then have your three batteries to fly for for whatever purpose you need.
2: That's exactly what I do. I have four four drones. <laughs> Same. I have four four batteries and um one is always the spare, like, the throwaway. Like, again, if I want to fly in bad light just to see, like, the lay of the land or, like, whatever.
0: Just to see how far it'll go. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) And then three. I just was in Switzerland shooting a bunch with just three total, and... Yeah. I, because it's so incredibly beautiful. I, that, that was painful. I kind of missed my fourth battery. I, I regretted not packing it.
0: And you guys are intense. I always, I've been traveling with two this whole time.
2: Yeah. I shoot a lot.
0: I know you yeah. And Johnny, <laughs> like your videos are, are much more drone intensive than mine. Like I'll have yeah. two shots that are drone in the whole thing and yours will be mostly <laughs> so very different. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. and And I'll shoot my philosophy with drones is like, because you don't see what you're about to get, you have to take a bunch of bets throughout the morning. So like I was biking up this mountain and I stopped like four or five times to put the drone up. I couldn't see what I was going to get, but I was like, there's probably something here. Mm -hmm. I took it up and it was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Four out of those five were like mediocre, but the one that I could have never guessed was the right one. So it's a little bit more of a bet for me where it's like, You gotta bring it up, even if you're not sure what you're gonna get. Totally, um, and get way too much. Whereas I I feel like traditional photography is not really like that because you can see, you you can see with your eyes. You know.
1: Yeah, I would say one battery is almost dedicated to just seeing what's out there.
0: Well, so I'm getting to the point that the amount of gear I just bring with me when I travel is really like I didn't have room. For a Mavic, to be honest, I I was really planning on getting the air because I I, I was like, look, with the Spark, it's already full. My bag is extremely heavy. Like my backpack when I get on a plane is already 30 pounds all the Mm. time. And I'm always Mm. carrying that with me. And it's overflowing. Like I can barely compress it enough to get it around. And uh, I haven't gone on a trip where I had to deal with it yet, but it's, there's really becoming this thing of like, okay, so now whenever I travel, if I'm doing travel videos, I need to have the drone and I need a gimbal and I need, you know, a good mic, which is relatively big. Are you guys dealing with this too? This expanding gear problem? Yep.
1: (laughs) It's a back and forth though. You, you gave up your backpack sized Phantom for a pocket sized Mavic.
0: Well, except I'm actually switching from the spark. (laughs) Oh, right. right, (laughs) That's right. right. To to me,
2: the give and take is it's a constant uh, oscillation between too much and then you pair, pair down. I'm in that right now. Like this this trip to Switzerland, we didn't take a tripod, which was crazy. We weren't doing commercial stuff, so that's obvious. But I mean, it wasn't a big deal. But like we didn't take any tripod, not a Joby, nothing. So Mm. no tripod. So that gave us a little extra room. We didn't take the the gimbal either. And I, I felt really good. Like I felt really good with just two lenses, my A7 and the drone and some some batteries and, and a mic. Um, I got a really, really tiny hot shoe mic for the Sony as like a lighter option. And yeah, I, I think it's doable. I, I think it's really doable. And, and this last trip with Borders as well, when I was doing something that I really needed a lot of stuff, even then I felt like I was able to find a middle ground where I didn't feel cramped, which feels really, really nice but yeah I think it I think it's doable. I feel hopeful about the idea of minimal gear and and the the size of it.
0: Do you travel as much though Martin I mean like I, Johnny and I are talking as if everybody's on the road <laughs> for all their production, but I know not everybody is like do you, you stick to Canada a little bit more, don't you?
1: I used to travel a lot more contract work brought me around, but Lately, not as much, but I do find in in most of my commercial work that I do most of the time i I drag all my gear with me, and there's a good thirty percent of the stuff I bring that doesn't get used just because you know you're in a rush you gotta you gotta crunch or you gotta shoot running gun, and you know the three tripods stay in the bag you run with a monopod the whole time, so it's still it's still the same kind of thing where I find myself reevaluating what I bring but you know
0: well and i think that i've seen more and more people lately that or at least youtube videos where they're talking about selling their red like that <laughs> seems like a thing right now i just sold my twenty thousand dollar red camera and i'm using my sony or whatever because because of that because it's a big challenge to bring it around so if you go back on my uh, youtube a couple of videos ago i did a collaboration with brandon havard uh, also uh, been on the podcast a few times he's fantastic filmmaker. His videos look beautiful and he shoots on, uh, I don't remember what the reds are called. Smallish one. Scarlet. Yes. Beautiful camera, great images. But what, you know, when we met up, he had, um, it was like, it was in a Pelican case and he needed like kind of a larger tripod to be able to hold it. And when you're carrying it, when it's handheld, like it is, it is occupying your arm. <laughs> you can't ignore it. Uh, whereas like, you know, with the Sony, you can throw it on a strap and not have it in your hand. And it, it's a really different experience having that size of camera.
2: That's that's my nightmare right there. Like I, <laughs> that is just my nightmare to think of a camera that requires that much just manpower to lug around and as well as all the other things that you need, you know, the case and everything I, I've really become pretty dogmatic in my own shooting about finding a system that is so dependable and simplified such that, and, and, and small, such that I know exactly where everything is and I know exactly how I'm going to use it and there's no variables. And, and obviously that would be different if I had different types of shoots and I'm kind of doing one or two buckets of things that are dependable and don't need to be shot you know with super high quality cameras so there's obviously some conditions there but but i really believe that with these tiny mirrorless cameras with these tiny drones you can push these kind of prosumer kind of barely pro level instruments to a degree where you're making really really high quality stuff Mm -hmm. like you can do that and and i'm like i'm so grateful that we can because if I was born 10 years earlier, like it, it wouldn't be the case. Like we're in a time where that is more possible than it's ever been.
0: What's your, what's the camera that you're on? Can you remind me, Johnny, what you bring around with you?
2: The a seven three.
0: Right. And the, you, a few zoom lenses, is that, is that what it was?
2: Yeah. A 16 to 35, a 24 to 70 are nice. my two.
0: Very reasonable yeah. of you. Cause I'm only usually packing the 28. Like I, that's the only lens I have for my video wow. typically. Yeah. And, wow. um, and then, well, and so I guess some of my differences of how I pack is, is that that's typically my Sony kit. And then I'll bring the adapter so that I can put, cause I'm shooting stills on my Canon. So I also have mm-hmm. my 24 to 70 for the Canon and often my 70 to 200 as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I can adapt those, but I very rarely do, um, because I just I usually need to rely on autofocus, um, just the way yeah, that I shoot and exactly. stuff. Exactly,
2: and Meta Bones doesn't. Yeah, know, yeah, it's, not, it's just not good enough.
0: It, I mean, the, yeah. it got better, but it's not there still. It's not. So, no. um, yeah, I usually have that one lens, and I don't bring a tripod much at all. I usually bring a, a a Joby like the um, the bigger pod? Yeah, yeah, the yeah the bigger size gorilla pod with the ball head on it. And that's, mm-hmm. that gets me by. I mean, if I need it to be different heights, I just put it on things, you know, pull a chair across the room, whatever. It's mm-hmm. always kind of worked for that. I started bringing my monitor with me. So I just, I guess it's new gear. That's why I started bringing it is the, <laughs> uh, small HD. Wait, what's it called? Um, OLED focus OLED. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, love that thing. It's, it's got a bit of an issue with the power button at the moment, but, uh, they're going to fix that for me. And, um, that is a lot more space, but for YouTube specifically, it's very helpful. I mean, I've recorded a lot of my videos, not seeing myself, just doing them blind. It's kind of freaky, but do you, what do you do when you're on the road? Are you seeing yourself?
2: No, I, I'm praying that Sony's autofocus is (laughs) working, which is a big high stakes thing where you're publishing to millions of people, like, you know, like a, a proper documentary that you've been working on for six months. It's like, that's Really and and I actually curse Sony every moment that I'm sitting there just hoping it's in focus.
0: Well, do you turn it to slow focus mode? That's like my big secret for my when it's on me, if I know I want to keep it on myself, that I'll change the responsiveness from normal down Uh, to slow. uh it makes it, it'll smart. just save it'll save you honestly because oh my goodness but then you have to remember to change it back because now all of a sudden yeah. you're shooting everything else and it's like why isn't it auto focusing but it'll well, basically that's... just stay on you because the difference between fast and slow is that it'll it, you know if it sees a hand come up and it thinks about taking that hand as the point but then the hand goes yeah. away it'll just not make the jump huh. in the first place
2: so. yeah that's smart it all of these are just sad excuses for the fact that sony has not done a a flip around screen like what no. what do we think like i feel genuine like spite t- towards this company i love their cameras but i'm like turn the freaking screen around well on like,
0: previous episodes of the podcast there's a conspiracy floating around that jordan drake started um I, I don't i don't know i don't know uh i don't think he has real information but he got this idea into my head that the uh that canon might be the ones that own that uh patent um but at least that it is an, oh. it is a patent um, and so there are challenges uh, around other companies doing it. Um, so uh, again, maybe huh. it's not Canon, maybe it's Panasonic, somebody that is doing yeah. it, it makes That's it harder good. for other companies to do it. Uh, yeah. And I believe well, I, that would make I've, sense to me
2: for better, or for worse. I, I have noticed that the a seven three focus is, is significantly better than the a seven S two was mm-hmm. significantly. I haven't had any focus issues and I shot borders, Columbia, uh, all with the a seven three. So, that's huge and I'm grateful for that. But but yeah, it's it's all in the blind.
0: Well and Martin, I know you've had a red in general. Are what are you using now?
1: It's funny because I, I bought the Scarlet when it first came out and then upgraded it to the Scarlet weapon. And I rent it out on larger productions more than I use it myself because it just it turned out to be the kind of camera that, you know, once you're going that route, usually you're not gonna do the run and gun. As often, and you know, I know I know people do it on YouTube and stuff, but uh, it turned out to be more more cumbersome for the kind of shoots that I do more often. So, to be honest, the red it goes out and earns uh, a paycheck, but without me, uh, it goes on uh, film productions and and larger shoots that uh, that it out and 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 use it on that size production. Uh, so now I'm 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 on the five D Mark IV.
0: That's a great idea. I got to just start making my gear work for me.
1: Yeah. I mean the red in a way the red was kind of designed for that kind of that kind of work. But it's funny cuz you you mentioned that the Sony does something where it locks focus and then if you if you wave your hand in in the shot it it assumes that that's not something you want to focus.
0: It can be changed to different amounts of sensitivity. So it does have preference to facial tracking. Also Okay. Uh I, Jonathan Morrison let me know that this is disabled. In really specific cases, I think it's that if you are using an external monitor and recording in 4K, it disables oh, facial right. tracking. Totally specific, but good to know.
1: That reminds me of uh, something I haven't yet tried on the drone on the Mavic two, and I know it's on both the Mavic Pro, Mavic two Pro, and Mavic two Zoom. When you're doing active track and you're say tracking a car uh, along a road and and you know, at a certain point, you're you're tracking it, and there's a tree in the shot, but the car kind of goes behind the tree on the road and then pops out the other side. Pr- previously, the drone would kind of lose, you know, lose its main focal point and 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 kind of lose the tracking shot. But I'm not sure what they call that technology. But the the Mavic now kind of has an intelligence where it continues the flight path. Seriously, assumes- what is it
0: doing? I saw <laughs> no, videos of that. I'm like, yeah, how and
1: it's insane. assuming. So it knows, or at least assumes that there will be a car coming, or whatever you're tracking, coming out the other end. And so, instead of kind of just giving up, it'll continue its path and track the shot. But I, I've I've seen the demo online. I haven't yet done it myself.
2: Yeah, smart. These these machines can can read images. I mean, it's that that to me right. is another just revolution. That's kind of quiet of like uh, these sensors being able to to distinguish what they're seeing and what what should be done because of it. I think that that's just revolutionized do, everything. And it's amazing that it's getting itself into drones.
0: Do you guys want to talk about the dark side for a second? Yeah, yeah. Always. So, Let's I mean, it.
2: I love drones. Like
0: right now they are really awesome. Um, there definitely are safety risks with them in the in the future. Um, so not only with irresponsible flyers, but in the autonomy of them. So the what's the name of the book that comes to mind? There is a Daniel Suarez book that... Is is all about uh, kind of a near future situation where somebody just starts manufacturing, you know, super simple 3D printed drones that have basic levels of intelligence, like not unrealistic levels of it. And you, even without a science fiction book, you can imagine ways that object tracking and facial recognition could be used in, you know, kind of scary ways. That like they already so that they already are in military contexts, but the fact that it's put into consumer hands. Can have a long term risk. Like it, when anybody can pick up something that can just like follow a human at a speed faster than a human can run, it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, when you put yeah. it that way, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think yeah. about that sometimes. When it's fo- like, if I make it follow me, I'm like, what if I wasn't? Act- what if I wasn't in control of this? And there yeah. was I- any intent to harm on it? You know, there to- there totally can be that kind of risk in the future.
2: Yeah, and I think drones are, especially the word drone, the fact that we use. The word drone, which is the same use of the, um, military. Like the unmanned yeah. military vehicles, which are very different machines, but they're the same thing, which is like, uh, this is light. It is it is very malleable in its uses, and it is unmanned. It's nimble. Um, and the fact that it's used for strategic purposes, like, yeah, I was actually just in Colombia doing this story on cocaine or in coca production, which is the, the leaf they use to make cocaine they're starting to use drones to um, spray herbicide on the, on the coca fields. So they're going to bring down these drones that don't look very different from the, from what's the big one, the inspire that mm-hmm. whatever the big, the big DJI one is it looks very similar and it's going to drop down and, and uh, spray these coca fields. And just to think of how nimble and, and delicate and surgical that, that operation is and they're They're able to employ this machine to do that. Um, yeah you do wonder like what are the future applications of this especially as the technology gets so much better at such a fast pace like if if this trajectory continues like four years from now it'll be another revolution it's just like what how did that how did that happen so quickly, and where's it going to go next?
0: I remember I saw Fr- uh, Chris Anderson on his book tour for the book free uh, and so Chris Anderson was the editor of Wired for a long time and he is a big part of the maker movement and started a drone company at the time so this was before there was any consumer drones but he was already talking about how uh, you know same risks of 3d printing guns um, there will be those same risks of of drones that like eh, you know you can just kind of access all of the toolkits that you need to make any kind of drone that you want and so although i don't think the public safety threat is enormous like i don't expect there to be any time that this becomes a big problem. My bigger concern is that something small will happen and somebody's going to take our toys away.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's my big concern too. Some like frat boy on a, on like a cruise ship is going to fly it into okay. some window in, in Greece and, and someone's going to die and it's all going to be over and that's going to be really sad.
1: But I think so. it, as long as they're doing self-driving cars, we have a chance to have, Runes in the air.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, it's fair. Um, <laughs> That's fair. good
1: point. I also want to talk
0: a bit about Johnny's new endeavor, um, but not not specifically. All, it's not all about Johnny. You can tell us about the specifics. But I want to talk about, in general, starting a new YouTube channel. So Johnny is known for his Vox series, which has been incredibly successful because he's a super talented guy. I mean, it's just like, it's a good show. Like, it is popular because it's high-quality filmmaking. You know, it's not a uh, clickbait and it's not traditional viral videos. It's like telling real stories with beautiful cinematography and well-researched topics. And now uh, you're looking at doing some of your own stuff and just kind of working on a few projects of your own. And I'd love to hear why you're doing that, what you're thinking about it. I don't know. Tell me, tell me more.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm really have become pretty inspired and fascinated by the notion of having kind of your own corner of the internet. And, and I wasn't really interested in that before because I didn't really feel like I had a lot to give. Um, maybe four or five years ago, I, I feel like I kind of was interested in film. But now that I've been through a pretty rigorous journalism experience at Vox and and been taught a lot by by that organization, I still am going to continue to make borders. But I'm going to start to cultivate um, and, and see what I... I would do if I weren't attached to an organization and just making stuff on my own um, and and exploring that that space for the for the first time. So I'm kind of launching a YouTube channel, which is uh crazy because I've used to publishing on this YouTube channel that has five million subscribers, and now I'm pub- <laughs> I'm gonna start publishing videos on a on a YouTube channel that has like zero subscribers. Um and well, link so in show notes, everybody, so get out there. Yeah, please go go boost my confidence. Please, that I'm feeling pretty, pretty insecure right now. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm toying around with this idea. I'm, I've just been inspired by my wife this year actually started a a YouTube channel and and has had a lot of success and fun and done a lot of cool stuff. And I've just been inspired by this idea of creating your own little personal space once you have the tools to do so. Um, and, and that's what I want to do starting, starting now.
0: How can people find yours and your wife's YouTube channel before we go too far?
2: I don't actually know. I think you just type in Johnny Harris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm it not used to,
0: takes a while to get I, the vanity URL, right?
2: Yeah. I well, I'm not used to plugging like I'm used to being like, search Vox borders on the internet. I I think if you search Johnny Harris on YouTube, you'll you'll Fox. find it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I
0: had to dig around. I had to click around a bit,
2: but Oh, geez. This is bad, man. I'm I'm like so rusty with this kind of stuff. But um yeah, look around go to my Instagram. That's what you should do. All look right. for J- Johnny W. Harris on Instagram or is I Z dot Harris on Instagram and, that, and that's all of our stuff's there. That's where we're more active and, and you'll find my YouTube link in that description.
0: Well, and there's another uh, guy that I was watching do a similar thing. Uh, Sam Scheffer in right. New York. Yeah. You, you watch the stuff. I mean, I was watching as he started his channel and it was kind of right as I was refocusing my channel as well. So he was kind of like, you know, six months ahead of me. So that was a nice reference for me to watch. And it was just, yeah, it was really cool to see him sort of claim his own little corner. And we all know his name now because of it, even though before... Martin, can you remind me where he worked?
1: Uh, I believe it was The Verge.
0: Yeah, I know he's done stuff for The Verge, and I think like Mashable in the past. Tech, yeah. techcrunch crunch. I don't know. They're all blending together. He, he, <laughs> I was going to say the same. He's, he's worked for a bunch of them, but you know, he's done videos that is like same position as you, Johnny, like a lot of people were watching them, but nobody knew his name. Nobody knew who the guy making these great videos they loved is. Um, and, and now he's gone on to do uh, his own thing. I mean, he, he left, I am hoping we get to see more borders from you, but um, you know, I, I think it's even a, a challenge for media companies. It's like, if you find somebody amazing, Everybody, they're they're going to be amazing, right? Like they don't necessarily like need the infrastructure that they used to in the past. And I, so, an example of this, I've always loved and watched closely is the group of guys, kind of funny, that all came from IGN. And I've been oh. following IGN forever. Like they have been on the ball with video production and media production for twenty years. Like since the internet started, I don't know how long really, but like I, if you, if you Google my name in the right way and uh, like IGN, you can find letters I wrote to the editor about like, <laughs> Zelda 64. Um, oh man. And they were just like embedding video, like QuickTime files back then. They'd be, you know, 30 megabytes and it would take all day to download. Anyway. Oh my gosh. It's so nostalgic here. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah, totally. <laughs> and so anyway, now a bunch of the guys uh, on there built out some pretty great podcasts and video content for IGN and have now gone on to do their own company called kind of funny where they built a mm-hmm. studio in San Francisco and they it's all like contributor supported and they have a, just like such a great fan base. That's really helped yeah. them build their thing uh, into what they dreamt that it could be. And I just love seeing it. It's, you know, it's really wonderful. And now they still work with their colleagues at IGN and it's great.
2: And and my hope is that it's, you know, I'm still going to be working at Vox still going to be making borders and that's because vox is an amazing place like in the sense that like the the values that vox holds to the the style the approach the brand like is something i still really want to be closely associated with by no means jumping ship like to disrupt um i i think the cool thing is and i think all three of us are in this kind of position where it's like we spent a lot of years building our skill set kind of in a traditional way like just making stuff and then like the the prospect of then taking those skills and then bringing it to your corner of the internet as opposed to just making a corner of the internet and developing those skills in the process, which is another model. I think it 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 lends itself to an interesting different approach. You get a different quality and a different kind of rigor to your to your style. And I noticed this in in both of your work that I, I think is fresh on the internet and people notice it. And I think there is value in cultivating those skills first and then going and starting your thing second.
0: So do you imagine, I guess, do you imagine this being a business in some way? Like, Because an interesting challenge that you're, you've presented yourself with is being a pretty real journalist. Like you're telling significant stories that are I'd say less superficial than average. If you just look around <laughs> on YouTube, look around at like things I make. I mean, um, you know, the topics I cover are kind of flutter; like they go by quickly. You know, drones change. <laughs> there's a new drone every year. Like, who, who gives a shit about the Zoom Pruto Mavic Pro? Um, but the drug dealing in Colombia is a much more serious topic, and there's been all the challenges of more traditional journalism being able to cover it properly. Yeah. Um, I don't don't know. How do you imagine approaching this type of thing? Do you want to keep it as serious?
2: Yeah, I I, I do. I want and I think that there's a middle ground there that has yet to be uh, really explored, which is there's a tolerance now for brands in journalism in a way that protects the rigor and the independence of the journalism, but still allows it to be funded. And it's not the kind of division of church and state that that used to exist. Uh, with legacy organizations, Fox is actually spearheading a lot of this, a lot of this native advertising, um, where you can have rigorous journalism that is in partnership with brands. And I want to continue to explore that space and and do that in kind of a, a new way that still feels journalistic, but is also like, hey, this was brought to you by Squarespace. You know, like that. <laughs> that's something that I think is now is now more and more tolerated. And I feel like I can find a, a niche within that. But honestly, I'm not really interested in brand stuff right now. I'm, I'm interested in just finding a voice and finding a space. And, and the business that I will create probably won't be as much branding as it will be around selling courses and teaching materials. That's something I'm really interested in is, is developing a course on everything I've learned in journalism and filmmaking Um, and that's kind of the first thing I'm going to do, but I think eventually, yes, brands can be a part of journalism in a way that doesn't water down or, or taint the rigor of the stories. I I always want to do it because I love, I love deep stories. I love facts. I love deep dive research. And I think that'll always be a part of my work.
0: Uh, but Martin, I'm just looking at the clock. You said you had to take off right now. I don't want to keep you any longer, but where can everybody find you on the internet?
1: Uh, you can find me at safe Solvent. Uh, SafeSolvent.com, SafeSolvent on Instagram, Twitter.
0: Yeah, and you should. I mean, Instagram's like especially the place. Your 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 work there is fantastic. I love it.
1: Thanks. I think that's probably where I'm at most. Uh, YouTube, not just yet. Not yet. Like, soon, oh,
0: well, soon after. The, I hope we talked you into it. Probably. Go cool, in. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Cool. And yeah, I just didn't want to uh, stop talking to you too soon, Johnny. Um, I feel like we didn't quite cover it all, but I'm sure we're nearing the end here.
2: It's a really interesting topic. This this idea of the new journalism and, and how it's funded. And, and I'm feeling that anxiety right now because mm-hmm. I'm about to jump into it kind of full full steam. But to me, it's really exciting. I, it's just, I've seen Iz kind of grow her thing and it's been really inspiring for me to say, like, I could probably do something similar.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's really nice connecting, like just making that audience connection too, even when it's not, you know, when it's not a, uh, even when you don't get paid at all for a video, it doesn't matter that much because it feels great like I think yeah. I think the only reason that it there needs to be income from it is because it's so time consuming like it mm-hmm. feels worth it other than that like it, it totally feels like something that's totally is absolutely worth pursuing, but creating videos is so time consuming
2: yeah and and honestly you're totally right. I've become completely addicted to this feedback loop with an audience, and it's usually intelligent and helpful and culturally sensitive local feedback that I that they only can come on internet video um I made a piece for Netflix this year for the Vox show explained I did I I directed one of the episodes and when it published it was just like crickets it's like well what what now like it published (laughs) and I was like no comments which episodes everybody can see it um, it, it was the gender wage gap. So it's called why women are paid less explained. Cool. Um, so you should check it out. Has was there Hillary Clinton a, yeah, and, and cool. the prime minister of Iceland and the UN Rwandan ambassador, a bunch of, a bunch of big names who were so brilliant. And I learned a ton. So you should definitely check it out.
0: Well, it's funny because um, the podcast is my more serious journalistic endeavor. I mean, as serious as this was, but it also, it's much quieter than on YouTube. I mean, today, like today was an interesting example for me. I I had published a video uh, with pro- probably one of my cl- more clickbaity titles of all time about how the iPhone XR camera can be better than my 5D Mark IV. Total, totally clickbait thing to say. <laughs> and I tried to really explain myself in the video and be very like, look, I know I brought you here with a bold title, but I am seeing something interesting here. It is. And, uh, but I really like saw it in the comments. Like people didn't watch the video. They, they read the title (laughs) and they were pissed off and they wanted to make it known. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's just so like the world of, of YouTube can be so different for that because there are incentives towards those like really bold kind of, you know, pushing it too far headlines. And I don't, I don't love that. Like I
2: want to keep it quiet and subtle. And I think there is a, a space there that I don't know. This is, this is kind of an unpolished theory that I have, but like, I'm starting to discover more and more that if I publish a 15 minute deep dive documentary on like, on like the anthropology of the communities of Nepal, which was episode five of season one of borders, It's a it's a rigorous piece. It's something I I swam through tons of of you know academic research for and did a ton of work. It's very wonky or or housing policy in Hong Kong. You know, fifteen minutes long. If I can publish that with all the facts, I it's almost like I'm signaling like, hey, this is the type of discussion we're having. And I feel like you do this too with like with your with your voice does signal a certain sense of quality and a certain sense of like sophisticatedness that is, that is that, that yeah, the trolls will always be there. But I think that there's a way to, to kind of signal like, this is what you're going to get here. This is the type of discussion we want to have. And you can create, you can attract the community around that, that wants to have that discussion. Sophisticatedness and, is
0: my middle name. So
2: Yeah. <laughs> That was my most elegant uh, <laughs> word of the day, actually, sophisticatedness. But I,
0: I think people just don't realize, eh, what's frustrating watching the comments is like, they don't know that they're um, they're only there to comment because of the headline, because, they, yeah. because it was that kind of headline. And like, yeah. you know, I could spend the whole time on YouTube trying to only ever keep the headlines very direct and clear and saying, you know, review comparing the iPhone and <laughs> Canon cameras. But- Nobody click it. Nobody watch it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, stuff.
2: I i know. I, I run into that too. Like I, for Hong Kong, I had this one that was why these buildings have holes in them, and it was about <laughs> yeah. feng shui and dragons yeah. and all this stuff. And of course, the the pedantic or the trolls or whoever it is that that feels the need to do inflammatory comments on YouTube came in, and of course, with the attacks, and it's like that. To me, that's become just an endemic part of the internet. I, it's almost like it just bounces off. Mm-hmm. To me, what's interesting are all the masses who come in and have totally a totally different flavor of comments. And, of course, the one, the angry people, those stick out. But, like, to me, the value of the, the of the piece is when you start to hear that other discussion that's happening that's a little quieter because it's not the vociferous, like, angry people um, but it's there, and to me, that's the most gratifying aspect: is when you do attract a, a discussion that is more sophisticated and 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 more nuanced and more enlightened.
0: Well, I, I hopefully none of the trolls listen this far into my podcast, but um, <laughs> I I lean heavily on the uh, ban this user from my channel button because huh. uh, and I, I've wanted to know what other people think about this. So in your case, you don't, I you know, I'm sure you're not moderating the Vox channels. But I'm, like, super curious about what other people do. Like, am I the only one? And basically, it's because, like, I don't want people to shit in my backyard, you know? like Yeah. It's like, no, this, that's... Is, this is my space, and I want people to feel com- comfortable that if they comment, they're not going to get attacked either. Like, and, yeah, this is just, like, a cool space. Like, you can disagree with me. Like, come at me with your opposing opinions. That's all totally fine. But don't be a douche. Please, like, just be respectful. Yeah.
2: I think that that... That is uses it. And actually at Vox, we do have for the first 24 hours, we do monitor for racist stuff, for hate, for like anything, especially when women appear on camera, they immediately get attacked for their appearance and we immediately just block all of that Mm -hmm. Um, because you're right. Like we're not censoring dialogue. (laughs) This isn't dialogue. (laughs) This isn't dialogue. This is literally just poison like this is just trolley poison, and it's like if you want to come at me with like a factual correction or even a vehement disagreement, like that's fine, like that. Let's do that. But it's the the the, the amount of just garbage that people can spew out on the internet is to me like the only way to counter that is with these yeah with like a ban from the channel or whatever i think that's totally kosher and actually healthy for for the community you're trying to build
0: yeah i I like it i like it it makes it makes me enjoy being in my comments more
2: (laughs) yeah yeah totally
0: all right so where where can everybody find everything that you do i know you said it once but remind us
2: yeah so um on instagram which is kind of my main platform for publishing right now um johnny w harris that's j-o-h-n-n-y-w harris um and then you could of course Google Vox Borders and watch now tons and tons of stuff. There's probably dozens of, of Borders videos out there at this point. Um, and then my little beautiful YouTube, which has one video, and that video is me announcing that I'm going to start making videos. I hope people so come I, back
0: I, and listen to this old podcast and be like, remember when... <laughs> Or they can go listen to the other one that you were on and be like, remember when he didn't have a YouTube? Didn't even have a
2: YouTube? Yeah. Well, I've uploaded my first video and it's literally me in an airport saying, hey, I'm going to start uploading videos. Ask me questions that you want me. Basically, what I'm going to do is start to have a commentary on on thoughts that I have about gear, about story, about journalism, about whatever. And And I get a lot of questions in my email and in my DMs, and I want to start to answer those questions and, and give a feedback. So that's what my YouTube channel is going to be for now. But for those who do choose to subscribe now and be early adopters, you will be you'll rewarded. Get a free hat. With, yeah, you'll get a free hat <laughs> when I have a hundred thousand subscribers yeah. um, so anyway that's uh that's what I'm gonna start doing that but yeah go find me somewhere if you can find me on YouTube then you uh, you you deserve to watch that one well, video.
0: well and go subscribe to is Harris I mean that'll give you uh if you if you like Johnny's flavor then there's lots more of that with your guys' travel stuff she does great work and
2: speaking of of trolls if you want to see <laughs> my wife troll me uh, on camera all the time go watch her vlogs <laughs> <laughs> go, go follow the trolls. <laughs> yeah the ultimate troll the ultimate family troll so yeah is is harris at youtube.com slash is harris you can find her
0: cool thanks again
2: yeah thank you tyler